1: the inspire to fire podcast my name is chris and i'm your host and this show is all about inspiring you towards reaching financial independence we do this by interviewing amazing guests every week and today is no different so today we have janice torres rodriguez from yo quiero dinero podcast and she talks to us a little bit about her money story and how she dealt with a little bit of the issues that growing up as like a first gen Um, millennial, I guess you can say, and, uh, you know, dealing with the struggles of the expectations of family and how she dealt with that, getting her nine to five and also becoming an entrepreneur. So she also goes into how she built her blog, which is Delish Delights. And uh, side bit, you should check it out. It's pretty good. She's got a lot of great recipes there. Um, I made the empanadas and they are delicious. So um, anyway, she built this blog and it now makes over $100,000 a year in passive income. So she's generating thousands and thousands of monthly visitors, and she just sits back and collects ad revenue. So, I mean, this didn't happen overnight, so she goes into how she did it, and um, she helps us kind of almost recreate, or if we're interested in doing something like this, just giving us a, a path to how she did it and, and how you can do it as well. And then lastly, we touch on cash flow Fi. It was a new term and a new concept for me, actually. Um, and I'm in the financial independence space, so it's surprising, but it is something that is more popular nowadays, which is a different way to reach financial independence. Um, and it's more direct and it could be even quicker. So I'm going to leave you with that teaser because it is at the second half of the episode. So if you stick around, you will check that out. It's called cashflow fi. It's something that Janice and I spoke about. um, and it's really exciting. So anyways, if you are a new listener, go ahead and subscribe. That way you don't miss a new episode. And if you're a returning visitor, thank you so much for coming back and listening to the show. Go ahead and share it with anyone that you know that might enjoy financial independence or or might benefit from it. Hey, Janice, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here.
1: Thank you. No, thank you for coming on and taking the time. You are a force, I have to say. You're all over the place and uh, I love it. You're on socials. You got two websites, I believe. Your own podcast. Uh, I mean, you've got digital courses. What aren't you doing? And, uh, you know, (laughs) how, how do you do all of this at the same time? It's amazing.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you're right. Um, I, I sit back sometimes and think about like all the different moving parts of my businesses. And the fact that I did this for eight years before hiring anybody to help me, it's kind of just like, whoa. (laughs) <laughs> uh, but for me, I'm a creative at heart. And so if I'm not creating, I'm not living my purpose. And so that makes it easier to, you know, do all the things because it really lights me up.
1: Yeah, it, it shows. And um, I hope you keep doing it. And we're going to get into how you manage all this stuff um, a little bit later. But I'd love to start off with your money story and just give the audience a little bit of uh, background for those who haven't seen you yet.
0: Yeah. So I am a Puerto Rican. I grew up in New Jersey. My parents came over from the island in the 1980s. They were high school sweethearts. My dad is a military vet. And so they came to the United States for the same reason that many people from all over the world come, right? Looking for those better opportunities and looking for the American dream. And so my money story, you know, we grew up in a humble home. Uh, we were not wealthy by any stretch of the imagination. You know, at one point, my parents were on government assistance and slowly but surely, you know, through hard work, honestly, they were able to, you know, buy their first home, um, start, you know, saving money for retirement. And so I never lacked for anything, but I definitely learned the value of hard work and the value of a dollar. And so as I was growing up, I was presented with this interesting dichotomy where I saw the women in my family typically having to be the ones to sacrifice their financial independence for the sake of raising the family. And then the men were tasked, you know, with like bringing home the bacon, making all the money. And- as a kid, I always knew I did not want to fit into that typical stereotype that we see so many times. So I always had this idea that like, I want to be financially independent, whether I'm in a relationship or not. Like, I never want to be dependent on my partner for money. And so I was a kid who I was naturally gifted at school. I was always an A student. And so I thought, you know, I'm going to do the thing that I can make the most money doing, which initially for me and my brain was to go and become a doctor. But in college, By my junior year, I was burnt out with school. I was exhausted and I'm like, I just want to graduate and work and then figure out if this is what I actually want to do. So instead of going to medical school, I decided to take my biology degree and uh, attempt to work in the pharmaceutical industry, which was really big in New Jersey. And so my college roommate who had graduated a year before me got me my first job. She got me my first interview and that's how I started my journey as an engineer. So that's what I did for 14 years before I left my career to do this creative entrepreneur thing now full time.
1: Yeah, that's um so so much to unpack there. I, I um I think the immigrant story is one that well I share along with you as well and so many people can relate to. Um, can you talk to me a little bit about like the feelings that your parents might have had? You know, was that push to become a doctor supported by your family? And and you know that's why it may may have made it easier to accept. And, um, talk to me about like their feelings when that didn't happen maybe. And, and, um, were they still satisfied with the career you chose?
0: Yeah. So my dad is an engineer. So the fact that I went, you know, kind of off the original path of being a doctor, it was okay with them. Cause they figured, you know, he's successful. So I'm going to follow in his footsteps. But I think there was always this expectation that I was going to do something that paid me a lot of money that was a good paying career just because I was always a good student and I ended up getting a full scholarship to go to college. And so, you know, there was always this expectation that like Janice is going to do something amazing, but amazing for them was like, she's going to get, you know, that six figure career. She's going to get the pension. She's going to get the stability that we didn't have. Um, so I think when it comes to, you know, the generational shift that we're seeing, especially with like Gen X, Gen Z, um, even millennials, like we're questioning the status quo of what success looks like. And for me, that started in my early 20s, where I was just like, I don't necessarily see myself following the footsteps that my parents thought would be what success is, which is, you know, pursuing that stability for me, I almost felt trapped by conforming to their expectations. And so that's when I started to think about like, what I actually wanted to do with my life, which led me to entrepreneurship.
1: Awesome. Awesome. So um, just for some context, did you have any student loans after um, your degrees? And uh, how much was it? And, And at what point did you decide to get rid of those?
0: Yeah, so originally, I had a full scholarship. But because I decided not to go to medical school, it was revoked my senior year of college, because the expectation was that you would finish the program, and then you would go to medical school, you basically had like guaranteed entry. Um, so I had to make a hard decision. I'm like, am I going to now take on this financial burden that I was not originally planning? Or am I going to force myself into a career that I really don't see myself going into? And so I decided to say, you know what, I'm going to forego the scholarship. I'll pay for my last year of college. I was rooming at the time. So I paid for room and board tuition and all that stuff. And then about five years into my career, I ended up going to get a master's degree while I was working full time. And so all in all between my undergraduate and graduate degrees, I racked up about $60,000 of student loan debt. And so for me, you know, it's kind of like, I think what a lot of us believe is that, you know, this is normal. It's a part of life. Like you just have to get into a ton of debt if you want to then go and be successful. But for me, um, Especially when I found out about the financial independence movement around 2016, I was like, this is probably the biggest hurdle I need to overcome if I'm going to realistically start pursuing FI. So that was like the light bulb moment for me where I'm like, no, I'm not going to accept this narrative that I'm just going to live with student loans for the rest of my life. Like I'm going to be an active participant in getting rid of these as soon as possible. This episode is brought to you by Shopify, whether you're selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching, from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer.
1: Yeah, yeah. And the same thing Same thing happened to me. I came out with 150000 And and uh, yeah... So it's, um, definitely nothing to brag about, but it's, it's <laughs> difficult. Um, so I'm interested in the timeline as well. And I think the audience would appreciate this as well. But, uh, you said you had about a 14 year career and in 2016, you found the fire movement and you decided to do something about those student loans as well. So can you talk to me about when some of this entrepreneurial uh, ventures actually started? And um, because I know it didn't happen overnight, um, as much <laughs> as we'd love to it to be an overnight success, it really isn't. So can you talk to me a little bit about how that started and, and the timeline behind it?
0: Yeah, so I graduated in 2007, about six months before the Great Recession. So like perfect timing, I saw, <laughs> you know, so many people losing their jobs, uh, the stock market crashing, I'm just like, oh, wow, like, so this is what adulthood looks like. Fabulous. <laughs> You know, so I'm in my, the beginnings of my career and initially, you know, I'm like, this feels cool. Like I'm getting paid well, I have found a job, you know, where a lot of my classmates were still living at home. They were struggling to find work because we were in the middle of recession. So I felt like I escaped, you know, I feel like I I kind of got lucky in that respect. And so, you know, I'm working, making money, commuting an hour and a half, one way each day. And by, you know, the second or third year, I'm just like, is this really what we're going to be doing for the rest of our lives? Like, I am exhausted. How am I going to do this for another 40 something years? And so by 2012, so I was about five years into my career at that point, I'm like, I cannot see myself doing this. I need to find out what else I want to do. And so at that point, I was thinking about quitting my job, starting over. Going to culinary school because I had always had this inkling in my mind that, like, I if I could do anything in the world, like, I would want to do something around food, maybe own a restaurant, um, something to that effect. And so when I realized that that was going to chain me again to a job because I would have to show up every day, at, you know, even if I was owning a restaurant, I'd have to be there, I'd have to be monitoring the chefs, all this stuff. I said, what would location independent food career look like? And so I realized as a consumer, I had been checking out food blogs for years at that point. That was something that I, it was like a a light bulb moment for me where I'm like, wait a minute, these are people who are doing exactly what I want to do. They have a career online, dealing with food, sharing the recipes, being creatives. This is exactly what I need. And so in mid-2013, I started my food blog, DelishDelights.com. Didn't know anything about blogging. Didn't know you could make this a business. It was just like, I needed a creative outlet. And so that's how it started for me. It was just an exercise in frustration around my career. And it was a creative outlet for me to have something other than, you know, this nine-to-five grind to look forward to.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I mean, it sounds like that is one of many great decisions you've made um, throughout <laughs> your life. So, it's good that you, you know, you you think carefully about it and you do what makes sense and you follow your heart almost, that's what it sounds like. And also, maybe another catalyst, I, I read your story, did you get fired from that job? And and I know how difficult it can be to start a business while having a job, a nine to five. So, maybe that, you know, kind of sparked a little bit of uh, that, you know, push in the beginning, is that, would, would you agree?
0: Yeah, I would say that's completely accurate. So about six months after I started my food blog, I walked into work one day, I had a a 9am meeting with HR on my calendar. And I'm like, this is weird. Like, they never want to talk to you unless you're getting (laughs) hired or fired. So since I already worked there, I kind of knew what was going to happen. I walked in, they told me my position had been eliminated. I was getting a three month severance package and like 30 minutes to pack my stuff. And so the initial shock was like, oh my God, I've never been fired before. This is crazy. What am I going to do? So I went home, I'm like crying. I'm like telling my husband, I go, my God, what are we gonna do? I'm gonna end up like, we're gonna end up living in a cardboard box somewhere (laughs) because no one's ever gonna hire me again. I don't know what to do. And so, you know, obviously the, the shock was the initial reaction, but I also realized that I had been walking into that job for years at this point, hoping to get fired. I'm just like, can they just like, let me go with like a package so I can just take time off? Just give me unemployment. I hate this job. And so (laughs) I feel like I secretly manifested exactly what happened. And the fact that I was able to get a three month severance package meant I didn't have to rush back to work. And so instead of going, you know, right away and starting to look for work, I decided, let me take this time that I wanted to really have all the energy I need to focus 100% on the blog. And so I took those three months to really get clear on like how I could turn this from a hobby into a business. I spent hours on Google, YouTube. I took a food blogging course at a local culinary school. I was blogging every single day, just learning, you know, trying things out, looking at what other people were doing. And that set things in motion for me to take this from a hobby to now a six figure passive income source.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's, uh, that's amazing. It's like perfect timing. And like you said, that three month severance package, uh, must have helped you out a lot there. Um, you know, I, I know it could be a bad sign sometimes. If uh, you look at my Google history, you might see, um, how to get fired with the, the best <laughs> severance package. Like that's what you know, the signs are pointing to. Uh, you need to move. Absolutely. But, um, so before we dive into this, the blogging business, cause I, I think this is the, very like the meat of the uh, show, hopefully, it's going to be very interesting. But, uh, you know, I want to also talk real quick about like, we know your reaction, your husband's reaction at that time. But how about your family? What did they think um, with this, you know, uh, move? And then did you share the blogging venture with them?
0: Yeah, so my parents are always like, my biggest cheerleaders. And so they knew that I had started this project even before getting laid off. And so Knowing that I was in a position that financially, like I wasn't struggling. And the thing too that I want to mention is like, I've always been someone who lives below my means. So I never actually had to touch my severance package between my savings and the unemployment that I was receiving. I. Just put that money aside, and so you know, being in a position where financially, like, you don't overextend yourself, can allow you that freedom to pursue these things that you want to do on the side without the pressure of like having to rush back to work. So, I do want to say that. Um, so they knew I was always good with money, they knew like I was going to figure things out, and they knew that I was, I had a very valuable skill set in being an engineer and working in an you know region of the country where like there's a million employers, so they weren't worried about that. But what I did not share with them is my ultimate goal of like wanting to transition to full-time entrepreneurship because they just don't understand that, right? Like our parents see entrepreneurship as like the riskiest thing you can do as something that you do out of necessity because maybe you just don't have an education. And I understand why they say that because, you know, when I think about entrepreneurship in their time... It was the people who didn't have a formal degree. It was people who had to be hustlers out of necessity. Whereas now, you know, entrepreneurship is something that people are going into because they're tired of conforming to the corporate culture. They want more freedom. They want a say over their schedule and how much they get paid. And so it was not until you know 2020 that I really shared with them like what the ultimate goal was and you know their reaction initially was just like are you crazy like you have been working in this career for so long at that point i had gone to a fortune 50 company that was offering me a million dollar pension if i stayed there until like 65 and so you know i had to temper how much i shared with them just so that it wouldn't be the roadblock that would stop me from pursuing what i really wanted to do
1: Yeah, and I think that that is so important. What you just said—that roadblock to stopping you—because family and and the social circle that you have, if they are supportive, it could be the difference between making it and not making it. Absolutely. You know, I, I love that you waited until 2020, and I'm sure by 2020 you had uh, at least some proof of the <laughs> of the concept there. You know? Yes. And then uh, I want to also highlight another thing that you said, which I think is is interesting, and and it's it's so true nowadays. Uh, side hustles and entrepreneurship can be for really anyone. Um, you can have multiple degrees and still want to do entrepreneurship or side hustles where, like you said before, it was just different times. Yeah. So it, um, yeah, that's, that's something to highlight. So now let's dive into the blog and delish delights to be specific here. Um, I tried the air fryer empanadas the other day. It was <laughs> so good.
0: That's awesome.
1: Uh, yes. <laughs> So, uh, everybody who wants to check it out, um, air fryer empanadas, they're super easy and delicious but um, let's talk about how long uh, you were working on the blog before you actually ended up seeing a return on your investment and how did you push through at the beginning because I know blogging can be a bit of a, it's for the long game really.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I like to attribute blogging and the characteristics of building a blog the same way that you build a, an investment portfolio. Like you're not going to see those initial like return on investments. It's about really building consistency and discipline and knowing exactly like what the goal is. When I first started blogging, I didn't have a niche. I didn't even know what the hell a niche was. So (laughs) I'm just like making random stuff, you know, whatever I make for dinner, there's no cohesion, there's no theme, there's no nothing. And so obviously, you know, when you don't have a clear theme and you don't have a clear audience that you're serving, you're not going to see progress. And so for the first, I would say two years, I really didn't see a lot of traction, you know, from a monetary standpoint, I was creating a ton of content and, It wasn't until I started understanding the science of blogging that things started to change for me. So initially, I started focusing on SEO. So search engine optimization is a key strategy in how I create content for all types of mediums now. It's not just for blogging. Now I use it for um, social media growth and also for podcasting. So it's a skill set that essentially allows you to be found on the internet. And so when I started optimizing my content with SEO and also focusing in on a niche that was not being served, which is Puerto Rican food, that's when I started seeing things change. And so it taught me the importance of really having a specific lane and choosing a community of people that are underserved, but are looking for this information. So I knew looking at my own you know, background, when I think of how I learned how to cook, it was all anecdotal stuff. It was like my grandmother taught me or my mom taught me. And there's a lot of people who want to learn how to make these recipes, but their relatives are no longer around or they're, you know, mom is, lives a thousand miles away, so they want to recreate this recipe. And then, you know, when you call your mom up on the phone, she's just like, you put a bit of this, a pinch of that, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> it's like, how the hell do I actually make this, mom? <laughs> so uh, that's where I started going, you know, with my content creation strategy. I'm like, I'm going to allow people to, you know, recreate these recipes that remind them of home because there's no major cookbooks that they have access to. And there's just a lot of anecdotal information around this. So I started going viral on Facebook. My website started crashing. I started joining, um, ad networks like Google AdSense. I started joining influencer marketing networks, affiliate marketing networks, and this was all through the process of learning, like how do bloggers actually make money? And so I've started monetizing my blog with ads, with sponsored content and with affiliate marketing and took things from there.
1: Awesome. And I know you have a course about blogging, so I definitely want to plug that. I don't know if it's open. I'm sure you'll give the details maybe later or, or now if you want, but, um, yeah, you do share a lot of what you've learned or, or everything that you've learned in this course. So, uh, I want to encourage that for the audience if they're interested in starting their own blog to uh, take a look at that. Um, and I think one thing that you mentioned that was important is uh, before blogs used to be a lot about like sharing your personal story, um, almost like a personal diary. But you've seen and I, I think I've seen as well a shift from that to SEO focused where it's like, no, we need to write for people that are searching through Google. Um, so that's, uh, that's what you mean by SEO. Is that right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I always tell people like you as a business owner, what you are doing and, you know, having a blog is a business. So I don't want folks to think that like, you know, a business is just a storefront. You can have any version of a business online. And essentially what you're doing is you're helping people solve a problem. So as a blogger, you are providing information that people are looking for. So when you think about it from that lens, it's like, if your content is not helping someone solve a problem whether that is, you know, how to make a recipe, how to start a garden, how to lose weight, you know, how to reconnect with your spirituality, like you can teach people anything. And blogging for me is a great way for folks to get started because it is such a low barrier to entry cost-wise. You know, you're going to pay like less than $100 for a hosting plan and a domain name, whereas, you know, launching things like digital courses and, you know, other stuff that's are going to require a heavier lift. It just might be it might be harder, whereas I think blogging is a great entry point for people who want to start learning how to be content creators without a huge investment of money.
1: Yeah, I agree. And, and thinking of it as a business, as you as you mentioned, I think is so important um, because it allows you to reinvest back into that business and feel comfortable. And even the comparison that you made to a portfolio, um, it's almost like dripping those dividends right back yeah. into it, so it can just keep compounding on itself. So at, at what point did you start seeing revenue and um, say, and did you reinvest it back into the business? I have a feeling you did.
0: You know, it's funny. I feel like I've never been someone that has to spend a lot of money to start businesses. And I think that's one of those things that people assume like, yeah, sure. You want to start a business, but you got to spend like $20,000 to get started. That is not how it was for me. So I started my blog in mid 2013. By 2015, I had made like a couple thousand dollars. And so the only investments that I made between that time was of my time. It wasn't necessarily like financial investments. I think one thing that I did was I spent like $350 on a refurbished DSLR camera just so I could take better quality pictures because we did not have iPhone 13s back then. So (laughs) iPhone photos were terrible. Um, So that was my major investment. The rest of it was like, you know, my hosting plan was like less than 100 bucks. And by 2015, I made around $2,250, somewhere around there. 2016, I made, you know, like $5,000. And then by 2017, I made my first $10,000 with the blog. And so as I saw this like exponentially growing, I realized, you know, like I'm onto something. I'm doing something right because this is continuing to grow exponentially just like the stock market. And so, you know, by 2018, I had hit 26K, 2019, 46K. And then by 2020, I had made $85,000 through my food blog. And so, you know, by that point, I wasn't spending an additional amount of money. I had just been spending the time to build that type of content that was in demand, that was search engine optimized and, you know, growing the traffic of my site and then monetizing it with ads and sponsored content was the way that I was able to get to that point.
1: Yeah, so I love that you shared the the timeline there. And, you know, it's so important, like we mentioned, for anyone who start, wants to start out to, to just get started, if it's something that you're passionate about, even better, it'll give you that um, ability and motivation to push through those few years that you're not seeing any return on your investment. Um, but I love how transparent you are as well on your socials. And uh, I mean, every time you share like a monthly revenue number, it's, it's amazing. So can you tell us a little bit about like what those numbers look like today?
0: Yeah. So 2020 was my first six figure year as a business owner. And by that point I had started my second business, which is Yo Quiero Dinero. From the food blog perspective, like I mentioned, 2020 made about $85,000. And this is obviously before taxes, um, and then 2021, I made $144,000. And it's important to note that in 2021, I did not do any sponsored content. So the $144,000 was all a result of passive income from ads. And so just for some context, what type of traffic I have go- coming to my website at this point, it's about 4 million readers per year. So it's several hundred thousand people visiting per month. And so just for that, you know, perspective of what it actually means to have a six-figure blog, you're going to be in the millions, you know, when it comes to the traffic. And I only have 300 blog posts on my food blog. So it's not like I've, you know, created thousands of thousands of posts. It's just that because I'm in such a specific niche, I get a lot of page, uh, first page ranking on Google because there's just not a lot of competition. And I think that's mm-hmm. a key thing that people need to understand. Like, if you want to stand out as a blogger, you really need to be super niched. Mm-hmm. And and
1: you mentioned that passive income. At this point, it is truly passive almost. I, I think you might agree there. Um, but it, make no mistake about it. That was not a passive way. Like you, you worked, uh, like you said, you put in time to yeah. get there.
0: Absolutely. But I loved it too. So that's mm-hmm. what I want folks to understand too. You know, when you're thinking about building a business, like if it's not something you would do for free, please don't try doing it for money, because you are going to do it for free. And (laughs) you have to get through that point. You know, and I think what kept me going is I was passionate about this, like I would still be doing this for free if it was um, just a hobby, because it's just something that I love to do. And so, you know, taking it from that lens and not always being focused on the immediate return on investment, which I think is hard for a lot of people. um, Having that long term perspective, I think is important.
1: Yeah, and can we um, talk a little bit about like let's say somebody wants to jump into entrepreneurship. They're they're tired of the nine to five. They want to start their own business. So we've talked a little bit about choosing something that you would possibly do for free because you might be doing that. We've talked about uh, having some runway, maybe uh, in terms of like three to six months to get that started. Is there anything else that you can tell somebody who wants to take that leap and is just maybe afraid or or hasn't seen it before?
0: Yeah, if you're afraid that means you are stepping out of your comfort zone, which is actually a good sign. So don't ignore the fear. The fear will actually guide you to expand and grow. Now, that being said, I think the best time to start a business is when you have a consistent investor, which is your paycheck. So I always say, you know, your nine to five, your paycheck is your angel investor. That is where the initial money for your business is going to come from. So I never recommend folks to like take that leap until they have proven out the viability of their business idea, right? So like start the business, see if it works, give yourself enough time. And just for some perspective, most businesses are not profitable for the first two to three years. So if you think that you know, you're know you gonna start a business and you're gonna be rolling in dough in like six months, it's probably not gonna be the case. Your first couple of years are going to be pure experimentation, trial and error, testing what works, testing what you like to do, And then once you have found that consistent way of making money, now it's about, you know, creating that financial parachute. So bulking up your emergency fund, making sure that you have a plan to pay off high interest rate debt, making sure that you are planning for what insurance is going to look like, health insurance, you know, life insurance, um, anything around the benefits that you get from work, retirement. You need to be thinking about like, what is going to be the plan for this once I make that leap? And so what I did when I knew that this was something I was ready to do, I wanted to kind of have a gut check confirmation with like my overall financial picture. And so I decided to reach out to a CFP and have her take a look at, you know, my investments and my cash flow for my business and my emergency fund, like, is everything okay? Am I thinking of everything that I need to have in place so that I can make this transition as seamless as possible? And then once she kind of gave me the blessing, I knew it was just a matter of time for me to now make the decision as to when it was um, a good move.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and there's a lot to consider there. But like you said, once you start checking off the boxes, and especially once you get like that approval from a CFP, you can feel a lot better about the decision, and you know, be more confident in your journey there. Yeah. Um. So that that was key. So let's skip to the the current day, and um, you know, you've gone through entrepreneurship, you've covered the hurdles. So what does entrepreneurship uh, success look like? Like, what does it allow you to to do? Um, I know you took a trip to Paris recently. So yeah. maybe we could talk about that a little <laughs> bit.
0: <laughs> yes. So, you know, entrepreneurship is hard, but for me, it is the thing that has let me live the life that I want. And when I think a lot of people first hear about the FIRE movement, you know, we're typically in jobs that we probably hate. You know, you probably Google like how to quit your job, how to retire early. And that's how you find out about the FIRE movement. So I thought that initially my plan was like most people, you know, okay, fine, I'll stick it out here for another seven to 10 years, I'm going to lower my my living expenses, and I'm going to invest the rest of my paycheck into my nine to five, I mean, into my investment accounts. But what I realized is, I don't necessarily need to focus on building that $2 million portfolio or whatever it is that your fire number is. What if I could get to a place where I am focusing on replacing my current income on a monthly basis? And so when I made that shift from the traditional FIRE, where it's just the accumulation of assets in an investment account to what I've now found has been coined cash flow FI, where I'm looking to replace my paycheck with a side hustle or multiple income streams, that's when I knew I could start living the FI life way earlier than I originally thought. And so I went, you know, full in on entrepreneurship as like what I wanted to do to reach FI by the end of 2018. And it has given me the freedom that I thought I was going to have to wait decades for. You know, I'm getting to live that now. Just having a six figure passive income source means that I can literally like walk away from all the other business stuff that I do at any given time. I can take months off. Um, my bills will continue to be paid. I can travel. I can spend time with my friends and family. I can get into hobbies just for the sake of them and not because I need to do anything productive for work. Um, and it's just been life changing, honestly, as my parents get older too, just knowing that I can hop on a plane and be at their side, you know, if they need help, if they're ill, um, if anything's going on, just having the ultimate control over my days has been totally worth every single hard moment that it's taken to get here.
1: Yeah, I, I love that. And, and what I like is um, talking to people who are financially independent already, you know, that they could be doing anything right yeah. now that they're, they're let's say, on the show right now or, you know, you're doing things um, years ahead of what you thought you would with your parents and this is, that is uh, truly priceless, really, um, getting to do those things when, you know, your parents are still good and, and not, you know, just, uh, just being able to enjoy that aspect of life is amazing. I was going to ask you if you were considering yourself like fat fire, you know, like luxurious fire um, but I guess you're more in the cash flow FI, which was new to me. I've actually yeah. never heard of that. Um, but yeah, <laughs> that's new to a- me
0: too. <laughs> yeah. I, and I think it's one way to kind of break down the financial independence concept to not be so daunting. Right. Mm-hmm. Because when you first calculate your phi number, it's just like, oh, my God, how the hell am I going to get to like multimillion dollar portfolio? And especially, you know, when the market is doing what it's doing now, it's just like it feels very scary for a lot of people to even think about increasing their investments, even though we know, you know, you should buy low and sell high. Um, So for me, I was kind of just like, I'm still going to pursue traditional fire by, you know, optimizing my investments and investing all my excess cash. But I also don't need to wait to that point. I can also focus on creating multiple income streams that can replace my nine to five and start living the fire life way earlier. The beauty of fire is that you can make it whatever you want, right? Mm -hmm. It's just like the same way as you can customize the way that you budget. Um, You can customize the way that you pursue FI and it can change over time. Like I don't see myself working forever. But what I do see myself doing is having the option to do whatever the hell I want. And, you know, not waiting until you're 65 or retired in the traditional sense to do that.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's, um, that's so true. And that's what, like, uh, you know, the cliche, that's what makes personal finance personal, right? And, you know, I don't budget, shocker there, but I I (laughs) I don't, I don't budget, I just can't. But I do, you know, uh, automatic transfers and try to kind of... Force scarcity myself into not um, doing as much. But, you know, it's really up to you to decide what's best for your finances. And yeah, so I I love that. I want to talk a little bit about um, outsourcing and then we can wrap it up. But I would love to hear a little bit about how outsourcing has helped you keep your business growing, but also keep it sort of passive.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So outsourcing for me was a big Mindset shift because I was a solopreneur for seven years before I had hired any type of help. Uh, it got to the point where I needed the help because, again, I started my second business in 2019, which is Yo Quiero Dinero, a personal finance platform. And so, you know, as a blogger, I was doing all the things: I was creating the content, I was taking the photos, I was editing. One thing that I did outsource, though, as a blogger, was video content creation. So, as video started to grow. I was like, you know what? I'm maxed out capacity wise. Like, I'm not about to learn how to become a freaking video editor. I have way too much else to do. So, I was able to leverage a website called Fiverr, which you may be familiar with, where there's a lot of awesome talent on this website that you can hire for any number of digital, you know, services that you need. So, I started there. Um, basically, I would just send the videographer my recipe link and he would recreate it. He would buy all the ingredients, he would shoot it and give me back like those 60 second clips that were really popular, like when Tasty.com uh was was really all over the place. Um, and then in 2020, I had been running Yo quiero dinero for about a year up until that point. And I realized how much time I was spending on social media growing the brand, growing the awareness. And that was the first time I actually hired someone to work exclusively for me. So I hired a social media content creator and she was able to take off so much off of my plate that I was able to then, you know, focus in more on the strategy of growing the business. What was going to be my first product? Um, I started doing virtual events and freeing up the administrative stuff in my business has been how I've been able to now get to a place where I'm working like 20 hours a week. I take Fridays off. I take the month of December off. Um, I take a week long retreat every three months. Right. So I'm like, now I can breathe. And so it does take time to get to that place. But I would say the first thing that most entrepreneurs could do well with is finding somebody who could be a virtual assistant, someone that is like handling things like emails. You and I as podcasters, that's also another thing that I needed help with. I'm like, I need somebody to manage the bookings of this stuff because going back and forth, sending them links, finding out what's available on the calendar, sending them questionnaires, all that (laughs) stuff was taking up so much time. And so that was also something that I, I hired out for. Um, and as your business continues to grow and scale, you will continue to find those opportunities to outsource. But I think also another thing to think about before you actually hire a human, you can usually hire a software to do something. So something as simple as like Calendly or Acuity Scheduling can be your first, you know, optimization of your business where you are giving folks links to book a meeting with you instead of having to go back and forth and figure out what works for each other's calendars. So looking for those opportunities where you can streamline processes in your business with software or with humans, or a combination um, is really important. And I would say the last thing, as an engineer, I worked in a highly regulated environment. And so I realized very early on in my career, how important it is to have things proceduralized. So when I was thinking about hiring my first person, before they even started, I knew I had to get my processes like on paper, because if I want to be able to train somebody on how to do something, me telling them verbally is just not enough. Like I need to have this written down. I need to have, you know, access to software and systems available to them. I need to have literally like, this is what you do X Y C. And so, you know, leveraging my experience in creating recipes and also creating processes. Um, I made SOPs or standard operating procedures for different Things that I do in my business, and that makes the hiring process way more streamlined as you go on and continue to build your team.
1: Yeah, those are those are gems right there for any <laughs> entrepreneur. If you just haven't started, or if you're in the the through going through the journey, it, those those are gems. So Fiverr is something I've used. Um, I love how you mentioned that it's not about always hiring a human; it could be processes. Um, that's something that I could relate to too. ConvertKit. Yes. They're not sponsoring the show, but ConvertKit <laughs> <They> <should. laughs> has made, yes, seriously, um, they it's made my life uh, tremendously easier and it's not that expensive. When you really think about it in terms of a business um, investment, it's not that expensive and it, it makes your life that much easier. Yeah. Um, so Janice, thank you so much for taking the time to share all that with us. And uh, if you don't mind, if you want to let the audience know what you got coming up, any exciting events, and then also where they can find more of you.
0: Absolutely. So like you mentioned earlier in the show, I do have a blogging bootcamp. It is a 12 week program. So you're going from getting that domain name, your URL. I'm teaching you everything be- between, you know, setting up WordPress because I love WordPress. I feel like WordPress is the place you should be starting a blog. Please don't do Wix, you know, Squarespace, none of this stuff. It's a waste of time. Um, we're going over search engine optimization, content creation strategies, how to monetize your blog, how to protect your content, It is an A to Z roadmap of all of the things that I've learned over these past nine years and i always tell people like if i had had this information when i was first starting i would have monetized my blog and probably half the time right so i'm saving you from all the drama of having to do the diy learning with the program and um you can find out more by joining our waitlist at yogertodinalpodcast.com/blogwaitlist um doors are opening soon and so i'm i'm super excited i'm going to be enrolling my 6th cohort and so it's it's just crazy like the full circle you know experience of learning this content and now being able to share it with so many people who have a desire to use their voice and teach folks, you know, what they've learned in their journeys.
1: Yeah. So I am going to link all that in the show notes below. And um, I hope you continue to do this work because you are doing amazing. And I can only imagine those um, lives that you are impacting with those courses um, and the people that, you know, are just getting on the right financial track because of because of what you're providing. So thank you from all of us, I guess, because I've learned a lot as well.
0: (laughs) Thank you so much.
1: All right. So I hope you guys enjoyed that episode. It was really fun to record. And Janice is a force. I mean, she's all over the place. So you can check her out at at Instagram, on Twitter, at her podcast, on her website. And, you know, she is uh, really putting out a lot of great information. So I'm happy that she came on and shared a little bit about her story uh, with us today. Any of the resources that we spoke about are going to be in the description below. So the blog boot camp that she runs, you can check that out there. Um, some of the terms that we discussed like fat fire, I, I'm going to link to an article from the, my website actually about that. Um, so go ahead and check out all the resources in the show notes below. Well, I want to thank you guys for sticking around to the end, and I hope that you guys will join us for the next episode, which will be in about a week. And uh, I hope you got a lot from this episode, especially, especially the cash flow five part, which um, again is a faster way to reach financial independence instead of accumulating assets and uh, waiting for the stock market to do its thing, which can take years, of course, um, and then actually taking out four percent per year with the 4% rule. You just find a way to cash flow the amount that you need. If you need $2,000 or $3,000 a month to be financially independent, then you find a way to just make two or $3,000 a month passively. That could be through rental income, like real estate income. That can be from a blog. That can be from a book. That can be from really a whole source of passive income um, sources. So you know, that's that's just a new way to reach financial independence instead of having this uh, huge nest egg. Just have something that's giving you monthly, monthly income and um, you're financially independent. Anyways, I hope you enjoyed that. And again, I hope you stick around to uh, listen to the next episode uh, in a week. So thank you guys again and have a nice day.